There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. Welcome, fight fans. It's time for the main event of the week, episode four of the Fight City podcast. I will shortly be joined by my co-host and editor-in-chief of thefightcity.com, Michael Carbert, as we will discuss some of the biggest news in boxing of today and of yesterday as we discuss both the historical and the current events aspects that you fight fans will crave. Starting off on this week's agenda is this weekend's top fights on our two premier streaming networks, ESPN Plus and DAZONE. On DAZONE, we saw two WBSS uh, opening fights between Nonito Donaire and Ryan Burnett and also Josh Taylor and Ryan Martin. Uh, We also saw on ESPN Plus Miguel Burchelt scoring an impressive ninth-round stoppage over Mickey Roman to retain his 130-pound WBC belt. And, of course, we will be discussing the biggest news in boxing, for better or for worse. In this case, the latter with Floyd Mayweather's inevitable comeback fight against a featherweight kickboxing champion by the name of Tenshin Nasukawa to take place in New Year's Eve in Tokyo, Japan. We will then move on to Alexander Usyk's debut at heavyweight as he takes on former cruiserweight champion Tony Bellew in the Manchester Arena this Saturday. And then to wrap it up, we will talk about the Fight City's upcoming historic post highlighting the event and the spectacle behind Evander Holyfield's title-winning effort against Iron Mike Tyson in their first fight. So stay tuned for all of this great content on the Fight City Podcast. Keep with us. And we introduced our co-host and editor of thefightcity.com, Michael Carbert. How are you tonight, Michael? I'm doing great, Alden. How are you? Really, really good. So let's jump into this weekend's fights on DAZN and ESPN+, Plus, our two premier streaming networks. So DAZN's card opened up with the WBSS Bantamweight Tournament with Nonito Donaire, fighting for the first time at Bantamweight since 2011, scoring a big upset over unbeaten Ryan Burnett, retiring him after the fourth round and going on to face Zolani Tete in the semifinals. Burnett uh, was a bit of an unusual finish to the fight. He uh, was later stated to have a slip disc in his back, and all of a sudden, without being hit by a punch in the fourth round of a competitive fight, he took a knee, uh, he told his corner after that round that he couldn't really stand up. Uh, he couldn't. He couldn't move properly. His corner did the right thing by throwing in the towel. Uh, your takes on this very unusual and very sad uh, ending to Ryan Burnett's 
brief title reign? Well, I'm sure Burnett will come back and, um, uh, I don't really have a whole lot to say other than it, it, it is an unusual, um, outcome. Uh, it reminded me of when Claude Noel fought Alexis Arguello way back in the 1980s and it was on national television and after two or three rounds, Claude Noel, I think, dislocated his hip or something. And Ferdy Pacheco was the ringside commentator for NBC television. And he actually diagnosed the injury live on the air. Um, the fight doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the fight doctor, exactly. Uh, so, you know, these things can happen. It's sports. Uh, it's a freak injury. Um, and uh, I'm sure Burnett will, will rebound. Um Donaire, you know, no one is expecting Donaire to go very far. I don't think anybody expected him to win that fight. So he got he got lucky, you know. Yeah, he definitely did. Yeah. I mean, yep, keep going. So, so you know, it's kind of a. I don't think anybody's expecting Donaire to win against Tete, but let's you know, it's it'll be fun as long as it lasts. Let's see how far he can go. Maybe he'll lock out again. Maybe Tete will trip over the ropes coming in the <laughs> ring or something. Well, you know? the interesting thing about Donaire is he was virtually unbeatable as a bantamweight. Uh, maybe the thing I always thought was wrong with Donaire's career is the fact that he moved up too heavy to the point where his power punching was no longer spectacular like it was in the lower weight divisions. He was a renowned puncher who never fully evolved into a full uh all-around fighter, and I think Guillermo Rigondeaux exploited that in 2013. A lot of those technical shortcomings that he didn't need to surpass when he was just blasting guys out uh, at 118 pounds in south. Uh, but we will see how he does later in the tournament, Zolani Tete being his next fight. In the main event of DeZone's card, we saw the first round of the World Boxing Super Series WBSS Junior Welterweight Tournament, with Josh Taylor, the number two seed, dominating and stopping the number eight seed, I believe. I know he was the last seed, Ryan Martin, en route to a seventh round TKO. He was Taylor was on top from the start. Uh, Ryan Martin didn't really have any answers at all, just using peekaboo defense and uh, taking a lot of punches to the body and head. Uh, really had no answers, as I stated. And it was a bit of an unusual knockout. It could have. Uh, been argued to be a rabbit punch that put Martin in a defenseless position. Referee stopped the fight shortly after. Uh, nonetheless, it was really only a matter of time before Taylor got the knockout, and he moves on to face IBF champion Ivan Baranchink in his next fight. Hopefully, will be a bit more competitive. Uh, what is your opinion of Josh Taylor? I've always thought he was the best talent at 140. I knew that after he beat uh, Miguel Vasquez. I definitely knew that after he beat Victor Postal. I still don't see Regis Pogre being uh, the guy to beat him, but it certainly might be his best fight in the division with Jose Ramirez. Yeah, I don't have much to add except that, you know, he's definitely he's definitely for real. He's definitely uh, a top talent and and the uh, it seems inevitable that it's going to be uh, him and Progre. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly yeah. um, in in the final, and that that'll be a great fight. I think that'll be a really intriguing uh, matchup. So I look forward to that. Yeah, and uh, no, I do as well. 
two southpaws. Uh, Progres definitely showed with his victory over Terry Flanagan that he's more of a complete fighter than I previously deemed him to be. And unfortunately, the winner of the Ali Trophy for the WBSS 140-pound tournament will not be the unified champion. They still need to unify the division with Jose Ramirez, who I'm not sure why didn't enter uh, the World Boxing Super Series. So in the ESPN Plus main event, we saw WBC 130-pound champion Miguel Burchelt stop Miguel Roman with a TKO in the ninth round. He floored Roman three times, dominated, but nonetheless, very entertaining fight. What do you think is next for Miguel Burchelt? Uh, I would throw that question right back to you, Alden. I think you would know better than me. I mean, the fight I want to see is him versus Tevin Farmer, yeah. but I got the feeling that, that we're not going to get that anytime soon. Yeah, Tevin Farmer would definitely be a good fight. I think an interesting fight that I've seen uh, spoken about since Burchelt's victory was uh, Alberto Machado, who won by a first-round knockout in the card I attended in press row on the undercard of Jacobs versus Derevianchenko. Uh, uh, um, Machado, he's a tall, uh, lanky, uh, very hard-hitting 130-pound fighter. He uh, made quite a statement knocking out Wandale Evans, Yondale Evans in the first round. Uh, Burchelt, his only loss was a first-round knockout, albeit a very long time ago. He was knocked out in the first round in his only loss, and he was rocked by Miguel Roman in the early rounds of his title-retaining victory on Saturday. Uh, might present a bit of an issue if Machado gets one of his uh, patented right hooks or his straight left hands off. I, I totally agree. Uh, just to go back for a minute, though, to the Ryan, uh, sorry, uh, the Josh Taylor uh, fight. Yep. Um, and and that whole tournament. The one the one thing that I I, I did want to mention is uh, there's somebody missing from that tournament, and I'm not saying this just because I happen to reside in Montreal, the fight city. Um, but one of the very best fighters at the weight is Eve Ulysses Jr. Um, who you may recall was, has been on HBO a couple of times. I do. And I remember him beating uh, the Hebrew Hammer, if I, if I have the yeah. Hebrew and, and like totally dominating him. Um, and, uh, and so while I have nothing but good things to, to say about the World Boxing Super Series and everything they've been doing, um, you know, everybody connected with the, uh, that current tournament for the uh, super lightweight division uh, whoever emerges as number one, um, I'm hoping that uh, you know Eve Ulysses will be on their on their radar, and that will be the next big fight at uh, at 140 pounds. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, I what I took from Ulysses versus uh, no, I forgot his name. I just refer to him as the Hebrew Hammer. So HBO was building the guy up a little bit. Uh, he, he won previously that year. Then he fights Eve Ulysses, and he's completely dominated for 10 rounds. Big, a, a little bit of a surprise, an upset. And really, the, the commentary, they just went on and deg- uh, uh, derided uh, Hebrew Hammer's performance throughout rather than praising Ulysses. Uh, I, I thought the focus was 
was not aimed in the right direction from HBO's commentary team in that night. I thought they took away from a terrific performance and they just attributed it to a guy who was overrated yet the same guy who just, uh, (laughs) maybe less than a month earlier, two months earlier, if I'm remembering correctly, they were hyping up. Uh, I think Ulysses, is not given the the credit and the notoriety that he deserves with his boxing skill. Well, that that may that may change as he's scheduled to be on the undercard on December fifteenth of the huge uh, Madison Square Garden the uh, zone event um, uh, that that uh, the main event being Canelo Alvarez versus uh, Rock is it Rocky Fielding. Yep, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So so at least there'll be some more exposure for Eve Ulysses stateside. I mean, his record shows one defeat to Steve Claggett, um, but really he's undefeated because mo- uh, you know the vast majority of, of his observers thought that Ulysses won that fight. That was back uh, a year ago, October 27th. And then right after that, he got the fight with Cletus Seldon, the Hebrew Hammer, and then he right. then he had a victory uh, this past June um, that most people don't know about, um, but against an undefeated opponent in Ernesto Espana. And you know he this this kid is is a world class uh, talent. There's no question. And so yeah, let's let's hope that uh, after this super series is, is done, and after he makes uh, his debut at Madison Square Garden uh, next month. Let's let's hope that uh, there's something big for him in the near future. Yeah, hopefully he gets a shot, maybe at Jose Ramirez while he's side while both of them are sidelined for the WBSS tournament. Although if Ramirez has any decent backers, I think he would acknowledge that is a significant risk. Uh, if anything, much higher than the risk he's taken against Amir Iman and his previous opponent Antonio Rosco. Uh, So now we shift gears to the biggest news in boxing for all the wrong reasons in one of the most unusual promotions I have ever seen for a fight that uh, is going to claim some sort of sanctioning privilege. So on on New Year's Eve in Tokyo, Floyd Mayweather comes out of retirement yet again against 20-year-old unbeaten featherweight kickboxing champion, Southpaw, that's only five foot five, three inches shorter than Mayweather, Tenshin Nasukawa in a Ryzen promoted fight. Ryzen showing their 14th fight. They uh, they show combat sports that aren't boxing. I believe it's exclusively kickboxing, possibly MMA. Uh, I've done a little bit of research on them. I haven't seen their viewership peak over a million views. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, on their 14th show, they're uh, relatively new to the combat sports game. And now they have the privilege to showcase the biggest fight in combat sports since Mayweather McGregor. <laughs> uh, can you believe this? Oh, it's... Uh... I could believe it, yes, um, but but I wish it wasn't happening. Naturally, I mean, I just wish Floyd would go away. I mean, I mean, he has. This is typical Floyd Mayweather, okay, and this is c- completely in line with uh, the Conor McGregor fight, which of course was basically an exhibition, and that's what this fight will be. It's an exhibition. We don't even know. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't even know what the rules are going to be. 
Um, we don't know if it's a boxing match, if it's a if it's an MMA match, or if a hybrid of the two. We don't know if there's. So ESPN ESPN has uh, Ariel Helwani, their MMA lead, has reported that it likely won't be MMA rules. But you're right. Other than that, the rules are to be announced. We really don't know whether it's going to be kicks, elbows. Yeah, we, we- we don't know how many rounds it's going to be. We don't really know anything. The, the whole and, and and also what hasn't been mentioned uh, uh, between us right now is, is they're not even close to being in the same weight class. I mean, I mean, Floyd yeah. is 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 likely to have at least a fifteen pound or twenty pound weight advantage uh, over the over the younger fighter. This is I have no problem with this type of thing. Just as I have no problem with Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor, if everybody understands that these are exhibition fights and nothing more. The fact that Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor ended up being an officially sanctioned match that 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 took Floyd to 50 and 0 is absurd. I mean, it's an insult to boxing. And and uh, this, as far as I can tell, isn't going to be an officially sanctioned boxing match. I don't think it'll it'll count as such. Um, but you know, like I have no problem with with fighters doing exhibition matches. But let's just make sure everybody understands that that's what it is. And if it gets billed as anything else, then. This is false advertising. This is this is this is misleading to the to the sporting public, um, and I just find it bizarre that that there's actually going to be millions of people willing to spend hard-earned money to watch, you know, a meaningless exhibition fight. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that 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 it doesn't have actual boxing rules, which will force people to acknowledge that it's not really a boxing match. Do you think fights like this blur the lines between boxing and MMA to the point where the casual sports fan is having a hard time figuring out the difference? Well, yeah, and, and perhaps. And also, it, it also blurs the line between what is legitimate, uh, like put aside the boxing versus MMA divide and just focus on the divide between a legitimate sports uh, competition and something else, yeah. something that is more a spectacle. I mean, I mean, Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor, that was not a real fight. I don't care what anybody says. I, I don't, I know that there were millions of people who actually thought Conor McGregor had a chance to win. I'm sorry to tell you that, that uh, sorry to inform uh, those people that, that, there's a lot more to boxing than they may realize, and there's no way Conor McGregor uh, was 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 ever going to be able to compete with Floyd. And if you thought that Conor McGregor actually landed some good shots and and won some rounds, yeah, well, that was when Floyd was basically doing nothing and carrying Conor and allowing the fight to unfold the way he wanted it to. I, I mean, reports came out afterwards that Floyd hardly trained for that fight. Well, why would he? He's he's taking on a guy with a record of zero and zero. He, I mean, 
give Connor all the credit credit in the world for what he could do with MMA. But MMA and boxing are two completely different sports. I have Ryan Ford's word on that. Ryan Ford, Ryan, uh, the real deal Ford, he was a MMA fighter for a number of years, got to a pretty high level. Then he switched over to boxing. And we have a feature uh, story on the fightcity.com about him and, and tells the whole story. He had to switch to to boxing because he had a recurrent injury that was plaguing his MMA career. So he made the switch and he, he told me, he said, there's no comparison. They're two completely different endeavors. And, and, and you have to, you have, you have to start over basically. You have to relearn everything. Um, so this idea that, that MMA fighters can jump in a boxing ring and compete or that boxing uh, boxers can jump in a cage and compete. I mean, it just makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yes. It, uh, uh, it will certainly not be the first time that a Floyd Mayweather fight made no sense whatsoever. Uh, of course, Floyd Mayweather supporters are going to claim that you know, he has transcended the sport of boxing to, and he's transcended combat sports for that matter. And he's just become this bigger than life figure who has the right to do what he wants. And yes, he does have the right to make a living how he does uh, with his name. He has every right to exploit it, but at the same time, he's, he's purely doing this at the expense of the boxing world. I mean, he, he hears about, he, he, it's, it's, it's no it's no coincidence that his biggest headlines tend to be uh, at least right at least in the vicinity of headlines that favor fighters. I mean, Canelo Alvarez's historic deal with DAZN, three hundred twenty four million dollar guarantee that he made, is no coincidence that that happened uh, a week or two before Mayweather's announcement with Ryzen. Now, hopefully, in this card. Mayweather outdid himself and, and won't find this to be as successful as an endeavor. This doesn't really make sense. Uh, Mayweather, his future in Ryzen kickboxing doesn't make any sense. Hopefully he outdoes himself with this and, and he just goes away as, as we, as we both hope he does. Amen. Amen. I, I hope that you and I uh, are in agreement on this. I mean, I mean, Floyd is not he, Floyd is not bringing anything to the sport of boxing, and he hasn't for quite some time. And um, that does not that does not refute the fact that he's a remarkably talented boxer. Um, although at this point he's well past his prime, obviously. But uh, you know, he, he this is all about his ego. This is all about making a lot of money. This is nothing to do with real genuine competition and offering something of value to the sport of boxing, which he claims to love just as he claims to love his fans and so on. So, so yeah, it, it this, this has a lot to do with Floyd wanting more attention, uh, uh, Floyd, um, you know, wanting to be back in the spotlight just as he announced. And by the way, I don't think I, there's no sense that this is actually ever going to happen. But didn't he announce that he was going to fight Manny Pacquiao again? Uh, the yeah, day so he was going to fight Pacquiao, the day, yeah, the day of the Canelo Triple G rematch. Yeah, there was yeah. talks I mean, that he was going to fight Khabib. Uh, now there's yeah. talks that he's actually going to fight this uh, tension Nasukawa figure. But who knows, right? <laughs> well, it's it's 
it's all it, it's all just a sad spectacle. It's just about making money, and there's really no reason for anyone who is who is really serious about boxing and genuinely keenly interested in boxing to pay much attention. There's really no there's no there's really no reason to pay much attention to what Floyd is doing. So I don't plan to pay much attention to it at all. Uh, I hope they have a spectacular party on New Year's Eve, and everybody in Japan has a great time. And and uh, but uh, I I have no interest, and in, and I don't see why any anyone who's really truly interested in the sport of boxing would be very interested in this this spectacle because that's all it is. It's a spectacle. It's an exhibition, and it means nothing. Definitely. Um. All right. Well, on that note, let's move forward to something at least a little more positive, and that will be Alexander Usyk, the unified cruiserweight champion of the world. His first fight at heavyweight, fighting former cruiserweight champion Tony Bellew in the Manchester Arena this Saturday. So Bellew is uh, coming off a knockout victory over David Hay in their rematch. Uh, claims to be coming out of retirement. Claims to not want to have this fight, which is a little bit absurd from from uh, both of our perspective. But he was on record, and ESPN noted that he hopes Usyk beats the fight out of him, was, was almost his exact words. He, he uh, doesn't want a reason to continue fighting. He stated that. He says uh, his wife might leave him. Uh, it, it, it's a very unusual uh, promotion to this fight. Uh coming from Bellew. It almost reminds me of when Tyson Fury made a similar claim before his scheduled rematch with Vladimir Klitschko back in 2016. Your take on this highly unusual interview by Tony Bellew? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I don't really buy it. Um, he seems to be taking the position that, that he was forced or somehow coerced into taking the Usyk fight. I mean, I think uh, I think he's getting paid. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's getting paid a lot of money to to fight Usyk, and um, you know that's what this is about. Uh, this is this is an attractive matchup um, in the sense that Usyk is has has established himself as without a doubt the best cruiserweight in the world. And Bellew is a former cruiserweight champion who went on to surprise a lot of people by defeating David Hay. So it's an attractive matchup. It's an interesting matchup. Um, and, and he's going to make a lot of money. And I think he's going to suffer. Uh, 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 he might take a beating. I don't. Or if he doesn't take a beating, uh, my money would be that on Usyk, you know, winning with relative ease. At this stage of their careers, I just don't see how Bellew can can compete in terms of skill, in terms of of uh, speed, reflexes, sharpness. Uh, I just I will be very very surprised if Bellew um, somehow finds a way to win. Um, so what I you know I think I think uh, this could be the the swan song that Bellew claims that he wants. Because I don't see him winning the fight, um, so yeah. I, what what I find strange is 
the mind the, the 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 relatively small but vocal minority who are saying that Bellew will win this fight. They're giving him a great chance to win it. I just I'm just I don't know what they see that I don't see. Can you fill me I, in on that? I think it's a stylistic nightmare for Bellew at his best. Uh, clearly, Bellew is, is broken emotionally. It's a, it, his brother-in-law had a uh, unusual uh, accidental death um, in 2017. I'm reading that scarred him emotionally. Uh, he wanted the David Hay rematch to be his last fight. Now he was lured out of retirement, granted with a lot of money to fight Alexander Usyk, but at his best. Alexander Usyk runs circles around him, I think. I, I don't, I mean, Alexander Usyk's chin at heavyweight has, I guess, not been proven, but he's not in there with a big heavyweight. He's in there with Tony Bellew, who fought at light heavyweight for the title against Adonis Stevenson back in 2013, I believe. I, I forget, 2013, 2014. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and couldn't, couldn't handle Stevenson's power at, at 175. Yeah. And he was uh, knocked out in six rounds in that fight. I don't think it's going to be an issue of power against Alexander Usyk. Usyk is not a power puncher, but he's a guy that overwhelms you with activity. He's kind of the uh, Vasil Lomachenko of the cruiserweight slash heavyweight division. I mean, this is a guy who uh, his trainer, who who also works with Lomachenko, has said these are the two uh, most committed bet or uh, best conditioned fighters he's trained. I mean, th- this is a guy that. Uh, he, he will keep going if he finds an opening. And I don't think Tony Bellew is going to really uh, be much of an obstacle on that front unless he gets lucky with a big punch and we see something we weren't expecting to see. But in my opinion, with Usyk, you know, if he was going to have his chin checked, I think he would have had his chin checked in his last fight against, um, forgetting the name, uh, <laughs> in the final of the cruiserweight division. Yeah, Murat Gassiev. I mean, that was a big puncher, and that was a big puncher that uh, I I think was a better overall fighter than Tony Bellew. So I don't see any reason or any way Bellew wins this fight. And when you add the uh, emotional turmoil in his life and the statements he made before the fight, I I think Usyk runs over him. Yeah, well, I I mean, there's no – yeah, again, I I cannot visualize Bellew winning – and it's important to note that Usyk right now is in the running for both Fighter of the Year for 2018 and pound for pound. Like in my opinion, he's definitely top five pound for pound in the sport right now. I mean, Bellew isn't anywhere close to the conversation no. for best fighter in the sport pound for pound. So I mean, the intrigue of this fight is is can Bellew be competitive? And the intrigue of the fight is that, well, Bellew surprised us all by beating David Hay, so maybe he can surprise us again. But Usyk and David Hay are two completely uh, different uh, uh, commodities at this point. I mean, Hay is way past his prime, was badly injured um, in the first fight. And, you know, there's just no comparison. I agree with you. I, I don't, I don't, I'll be surprised if, Bellew is even able to be very competitive. Yeah, I don't really see much of a scenario in which he puts up uh, much of a fight on Saturday. But hopefully Usyk is impressive enough that uh, people are going to want to see him again at heavyweights. Usually cruiserweights, once they 
become heavyweights. They stay heavyweights, as history has told us. Although now, cruiserweight division is more loaded than ever. Uh, it seems like Usyk will continue his career at heavyweight. So hopefully this Saturday, we have an idea of what he can offer to the heavyweight division. Speaking of heavyweights, we have uh, what we just published on the Fight City. A couple articles about George Foreman. Uh, anniversary of his shocking 10th round knockout against Michael Moore. And coming up next week, or this week if you may correct me, is a look back on Holyfield Tyson 1. Articles coming up summarizing and looking back and analyzing Evander Holyfield's shocking victory over Mike Tyson. Holyfield came in as a 25-1 to underdog and just like Buster Douglas, he pulled off what most people considered unthinkable. Your take? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for your for your article today. It's a it's an interesting take on Foreman versus Moore uh, because let's face it, the vast majority of people see that fight as a one as a as a, a legendary one punch knockout win. Uh, but you make a very good case about how really there's more to the fight than that. And, um, and it's a great read. So I, I would direct everybody to take a look at your article uh, that's up on the site right now. We've got a whole uh, whack of, uh, of history posts coming up, a whole bunch over the next several days. And definitely one of the most interesting of them all is Hollyfield versus Tyson, November 9th. Uh, way back in 1996, <laughs> doesn't seem that long ago, but, um, yeah, that, that, that's a fight that, uh, I'm sure everyone who saw it live that night will never forget it. I mean, I remember I was in a, in a bar in Toronto with a bunch of people and when Hollyfield exploded with that flurry of power shots in the 10th round that had Tyson almost off his feet, I mean, everybody in the bar was just going crazy. Um, it was, it was a shocking moment. Nobody expected it. Um, if you'll recall when the fight was signed and, and looking back, this is really an astonishing fact. Um, when the fight was announced, Hollyfield was a 25 to one yep. underdog. And of course, uh, the guys who grabbed those odds and put some money down, I mean, that was a very, very, uh, smart move. Um, but everybody just thought that Hollyfield was done, that, that he was washed up, uh, because he'd looked terrible in recent fights. And, um, and meanwhile, Tyson had come out of prison and had managed to, to reestablish himself as, as the baddest man on the planet, baddest man on the planet, as he was once known, Kid Dynamite, the guy that nobody could resist. He just steamrolled one fighter after another. He, and, and, Everybody was expecting the same type of outcome, so it's really uh, uh, one of those fights that that uh, was a shock. It's one of the biggest upsets in boxing history, without a doubt, and um, and it really totally comp uh, transformed the image of Mike Tyson, changed his image and persona uh, completely. But what's interesting about that is that. As soon as I say that, was that really the case? Because when the rematch happened, Tyson was actually a slight favorite oh. to beat Hollyfield. Did in not the know that. And uh, 
Yeah, but a very slight favorite. You know, it was basically a pick'em fight. But 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 the odds said that you know the guys in the 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 uh, the smart money was saying that well we think Tyson's going to rebound. We think Tyson can come back. I mean, the fact of the matter was Tyson was was finished years before this in terms of being a real, true, legit, elite level heavyweight. He never really recaptured uh, the greatness that he had in his very short peak in the late mid to late eighties. And, um, and he knew that better than anybody as, as was revealed in the rematch when, when with Hollyfield, when he basically fouled out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an astonishing fight in boxing history, both for how it unfolded and how Hollyfield, uh, basically dominated Tyson, which shocked everybody. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 one of those fights that uh, that, as I say, it's kind of unforgettable. Yeah, it brings up an interesting point of when was Mike Tyson actually finished? I mean, you heard Ferdy Pacheco in the late rounds of Holyfield Tyson one saying, "Well, this is a different Tyson after Ali came out of uh, out of." Uh, inactivity from his refusal to go to Vietnam. It was a different alley. Now this is a different Tyson after prison. I don't think they were saying the same thing after Tyson blasted Frank Bruno in their rematch, uh, two fights prior in a fight that some people were actually picking Frank Bruno to win and defend his WBC championship. I don't think these were the same people, uh, that were saying Tyson was going to steamroll Evander Holyfield, who was coming off an unimpressive victory over Bobby Chez, coming off a heart diagnosis that went back and forth, eventually adjudicated, and coming off a very unusual uh, up-and-down performance in their rubber match with Riddick Bowe. Uh, this is, uh, I think, to, to, to summarize, I think this is wasn't the beginning of the end for Mike Tyson. I think the beginning of the end for Mike Tyson was uh, in Tokyo in 1990 against James Buster Douglas. And it wasn't quite the beginning of the end either. It was just exposing a fighter who can't respond positively to adversity. And we saw Tyson get rocked before against Tony Tucker, uh, for example, and Frank Bruno in their first fight and come back to win. But Tyson's never gotten off the canvas to win a fight. He's never gotten off the canvas to even be competitive in a fight. Every time he faces serious adversity in a fight, it is downhill from there. He, uh, the aura of invincibility was taken away by James Buster Douglas and Holyfield's performance in their first fight against Tyson just reinforced the fact that Tyson's not so bad. He's a guy that if you have the ability to stand up to him and have the heart to take his punches and, and, and fight back against him, he, he is not, he is not a top all-time heavyweight that you can't dethrone. He's a guy that can be beaten, has technical flaws, and if you're willing to step in there and really try to exploit them, you can do it. And Evander Holyfield is the much superior fighter, in my opinion. Well, I, I totally agree with everything you just said, and yet, and yet, when he came out of prison... Uh, after being convicted for rape, um, he somehow managed to regain that persona, that that image of being this incredibly dangerous fighter. Um, you know, that's a really it, it's an interesting question as to how he managed to do that. Um, 
I agree. He basically, we all know looking back that his peak was basically the fights with uh, uh, Tyrell Biggs, uh, Larry Holmes, Michael Spinks. That that was the peak. And shortly thereafter, he became a star. He met Robin Givens. Uh, Customato had died, and um, and he eventually broke away from his management team and went to Don King. And that was the beginning of the end. And he never regained the form that saw him, uh, for example, demolish Larry Holmes uh, inside of four rounds. Um, and yet he, he still had that ability to intimidate fighters. And that was, that was a huge part of his success. I mean, you mentioned the rematch with Frank Bruno who can forget Frank Bruno walking down to the ring and crossing <laughs> himself <laughs> as if as if he were he actually headed towards the gallows. I mean, you know, he was on his way to being executed. I mean, people were still still bought in to the mystique of Tyson, and that was a big part of his ring success, his ability to intimidate the opponent. Hollyfield Afterwards, after the first fight, he, he admitted that he also felt intimidated prior to the fight. But once he got into the ring and once the fight started, you could tell, no, Hollyfield, as we all know, is, is, a, is a great, great competitor. And you're absolutely right. When a fighter was able to stand up to Tyson, he really didn't know exactly what to do. Uh, and that's what Teddy Atlas pointed out recently in his uh, interview with Joe Rogan, um, where he basically said that, that, that when Tyson was up against a real challenge, faced real adversity, he just didn't have uh, that extra something inside um, to allow him to compete. And uh, it's hard to argue that basic point. It really is. And, you know, I think it would be interesting if Tyson had Customato around for that point in his career where he would face a fighter who would bring the fight to him and present him with real adversity and, and just have that, you know, the guidance and, and that, that caring uh, father figure there to tell him, hey, you're, you're not Superman. I mean, there's going to be someone that has your number. Now here's what you do to overcome that adversity. Instead, he had Aaron Snow. He had... Uh, Whoever whoever came after that, he had a, he had a team of, of of qualified trainers, but fighters or trainers that didn't care about him the way that Customato did, and really couldn't take him through the adversity that he faced uh, against Buster Douglas, against Vander Holyfield, and further in his career. That's that's my take. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If if he had if he had hung on to Kevin Rooney, and and not gone with Don King. Who knows? Who knows what might have, how he might have developed. Um, but the fact of the matter is, he never came from behind to win a fight ever. Uh, as you pointed out, never. You were saying he never got off the canvas to win a fight. He never even came from behind. He never was behind on points and then found a way to well, win. Fran never Fran happened Francois in his career. Both, though, you could say. And this is why. <laughs> uh, lucky, lucky one punch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, good point. Later on in the, in the twilight of his career. Um, but this is why uh, we have a top 12 greatest heavyweights list on the site. 
And it's really interesting seeing a lot of the reactions because we put that list together and we decided that Mike Tyson really doesn't deserve to be ranked among the 12 greatest heavyweight champions of all time. The best, I shouldn't, shouldn't say heavyweight champions, the 12 greatest heavyweights ever. He's not there. He's in the honorable mentions. And again, the mystique of Tyson, the image of Tyson persists. There are still boxing fans out there who are like, what? How can you not have Mike Tyson uh, in, your, in, your, in your top 10, let alone he should be in your top five? Why isn't Tyson there? Uh, but if you really look at history and if you really compare closely what Tyson accomplished and, and what he was capable, capable of doing against some of the other greats in the past, I'm sorry. I, I don't. I have to agree with with uh, the other people who put the list together with me. I mean, we all we all we all were in agreement. Tyson just doesn't yeah, quite I, make I the cut. I, I can't argue that. Um, Mike Tyson definitely brought a lot of attention to the sport. Floyd Mayweather brought a lot of attention to the sport of boxing. Both fighters brought a lot of negative attention to the sport, and that's a lot of my quarrel I have with Mike Tyson, especially the rematch with Evander Holyfield, just making an utter mockery of the sport, uh, total lack of sportsmanship, total lack of class. And yet, you know, when when casual boxing fans think of the fight game, they think the earbite in Holyfield Tyson too. They think Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. I mean, of course, they th- they think of well, hopefully they think of the thriller in Manila and the Rumble in the Jungle and and what have you. But you know, these two infamous showcases of uh, of Tyson and Mayweather is you know is always fresh on a casual fan's mind, and that's really what we're trying to move past is to show these fight er, these fans that there's a beautiful artistry to the fight game. You can watch Terrence Crawford. You can watch. Lomachenko, and you could be entertained on another level. Uh, but of course, it'll never happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you and I are, are yeah, I guess we're diehard fight fans uh, with a great respect, deep respect for the, the history of the sport. And, and yeah, guys like uh, Mayweather and Tyson – we see the the positives, but we also see the negatives. I mean, there's no question, in my opinion, that Mike Tyson is a big part of how the sport in the 1990s really f- kind of fell off the radar in terms of, of mainstream. I mean, can you imagine in the 1970s, the 1980s, boxing was regularly on the front cover the, of, of, of Sports Illustrated. It was, it was as popular as football as basketball, as base, I mean, it was it was part of mainstream American life, and then it faded away. Now it's coming back right now in you know with a vengeance, which is fantastic. But I think Mike Tyson was part of how uh, the general public just grew uneasy with boxing. They grew uncomfortable with it, and um, you know, so so we we look at Floyd Mayweather, you know, same similar kind of thing. I mean, I can't help but think that Floyd Mayweather has done a lot of damage to the sport with so many meaningless fights and and boring showcases. Um, you know, so we we perhaps have a different perspective and uh, than than some who who look at Floyd and and Tyson and see great entertainers, great stars, uh, guys who 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 brought a lot of attention to the sport. We see the other side of it and. Uh, yeah, you and I are preaching to the converted, but 
I'm sure I, I'm hoping that there's a lot of uh, uh, similar minded people uh, who share yeah, our opinions on this. The key is that there's this. more to boxing than just your sheer entertainers and Ali, excuse me, and uh, and Tyson and Floyd Mayweather, and uh, it just presents the image that you know that 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 is what you need to to rejuvenate the sport of boxing not not a tremendous skill set but rather you know just just to be a one of a kind figure like Floyd Mayweather or Mike Tyson I mean you're not <laughs> there's not many fighters that are ever going to be able to live up to that stature but there are many young talented fighters in the gym training hard five six days a week waking up at six in the morning running etc cetera, etc cetera, and really developing re- and refining their boxing skill that'll just be overlooked because of the way the sport has developed over the years um but hopefully um talent gets noticed and hopefully with these new avenues towards making boxing uh readily available to streamers across the world some talent could be recognized and the, the sport could stand for something uh, that it hasn't in a little while. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think it's important. Ideally you want your biggest stars and your biggest attractions to also be your greatest competitors. And, and, and that's one of the difficulties that we've seen in recent years is, is some of the most talented uh, fighters, some of the best champions, some of the biggest attractions, they're just not great competitors. And, uh, yeah, you, you think back to, to some of the great champions of the past, part of what made them uh, both great champions and great attractions was that they wanted to prove themselves. They wanted to take on the best cha- the, the biggest challenges, take on the best fighters and prove themselves. That's what you need. And, and so when you don't have that, when, when instead you have stars who are doing all kinds of crazy stuff outside the ring, getting in trouble with the law or getting, generating all kinds of controversy, getting attention for the wrong reasons, or they're avoiding the most uh, deserving challengers. They're, they're, they're not competing uh, very often. They're only getting in the ring maybe once every 15 months or so. I mean, this is where, um, this is where you, 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 the, 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 those types of fighters, they're, they're undermining the integrity of the sport. If uh, that, maybe that's putting it a bit too strongly, but they're making it more difficult for the sport to actually conduct itself in a, in a meaningful way. I mean, the whole point of having the sport is to have good competition I mean that's that's the that's why boxing exists. That's why any sport exists. And when uh, that's undermined, it's very frustrating it's for those true. who care and, about the you sport. Know, I stated several times in the past that boxing is a sport that's becoming increasingly unforgiving to its losers. But can you really say that about guys like Zab Judah, guys like Adrian Broner? Can can you say that about Mike Tyson, guys who have several losses on their Resumes that really have no excuses for many of their losses, yet uh, rack rack up several controversial, unsportsmanlike, and unimpressive losses that don't disqualify them from the limelight at all. Just like a uh, a loss or two would you know, certainly mean the end for uh, Vasily Lomachenko at this stage in his career. P- people would 
readily write him off as a name fighter if he were to lose unimpressively. It's so easy to lose that glamour in this day and age uh, with a loss. Yet, if you're the villain, if you bring in the controversy, people still want to see you around. I think it's unfortunate, but I think something needs to be said about that. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I agree. It's it's bizarre. Like, I mean, I will never understand why anyone would, you know, pencil in on their calendar. Oh, Adrian Broner's fighting. Can't miss that. I mean, why can't you? Why can't you miss that? I, you know, but but yeah, like it's very strange to you and me. So I don't know why, but but uh, yeah, it, it's a question that you and I aren't the ones to answer. We'll have to get somebody else on the podcast with a with a different perspective to maybe yeah, uh, help so. us understand this better. <laughs> I feel like we keep looping around on uh, the the problem, quote unquote, of Adrian Broner, just the dilemma, the enigma of Adrian Broner. But, you know, I, I think what we can agree on with certainly anyone else is that fight fans just like to root for the villain. Certainly, Mike Tyson was the villain for many stages of his career. He was the guy that people love to see nonetheless, regardless of the most heinous acts he would commit inside and out of the ring. But Vander Holyfield, the ultimate good guy of the sport of boxing, was able to come out on top with a heroic victory in the 11th round fight of the year winning performance in 1996, knocking out Mike Tyson. So that will be a feature article later this week on the fight city, if not a Boxiana article, Michael. Yes. Yes. A, one of several that are being published this week. We got a whole whack of history uh, posts uh, this week, which uh, I hope will yeah, be a lot of fun for our readers. For myself. And uh, don't forget to catch a recap of Usyk versus Bellew this weekend. I will preemptively agree to write it now that I've mentioned it on the show. <laughs> um, but yeah, stay tuned next week for our next episode of The Fight City. I think we're coming up on episode five. Is that right, Michael? I believe so. Time flies, Alden, and uh, we've been doing this now for uh, several weeks, and uh, uh, I've, been, I've been enjoying it very much. And um, yeah, definitely. And we'll then later see how this long week we can keep this going. Have a little treat for you guys if you're into the art of refereeing. We have Arthur Mercanti Jr., son of the famous Arthur Mercanti Sr., boxing referee for 33 years, 33. 33-year veteran who has officiated some of the biggest fights in the sport. Kodo Judah, tight, or excuse me, Holyfield versus Lennox Lewis won. Uh, has recently been active officiating Ted and Farmer's most recent title defense. And he comes on the show and I interview him uh, to get his perspective on his start refereeing and his uh, take on the current state of boxing referees. So, that about wraps it up for episode four of the Fight City podcast. Thank you, Michael, for coming on the show. And uh, as always, we promise you much more action in the future.